Welcome everyone, I'm Holly Bott, and this is From Surviving to Living, the podcast where raw stories of transformation are told. This is not just a podcast, it's the power of change. God is interested in you. My story is not fiction. I'm a woman, a felon, a sex offender. I did hard time. I am so awed by Jesus, I will risk my reputation and talk about it. He transformed me. He will do that for you. I trust him. I hope you do too. Are you hurting? Are you sick of just surviving? I was too. How does one really, truly live? God causes transformation. It is possible for everyone, thank God. I never saw it coming. Let me tell you how it happens. Get ready for your adventure of faith and life beyond bars. This is From Surviving to Living. Do you desire success, respect, love? Do you feel unconditionally respected and loved? Eight months into my prison sentence, I faced uncertainty. While I waited for employment, I considered my failures. I hoped for relief, a better future. Distraction from the truth was easier to find. Discover God's perfect will for you and learn how he performs it. We'll uncover the secret of love as God defines it and how you can experience it today. Listen to the end. You won't want to miss a word. This is General Assembly. It was November 2011. Incarcerated now eight months, I finished the WOW mental health program and became eligible to work again. Fired from my last job, I could not choose the next one. Nervously, I checked the mail, waiting for a job assignment. The prison would assign it to me based on the needs of the prison. It could be anything. Starting wages in prison varied from 25 to 50 cents an hour and top pay ranged from one to two dollars. A few jobs even allowed for four to six dollars per hour, occasionally. For prison, I struggled to manage money. I saw this as a performance issue, financial success that I could proudly demonstrate and I enjoyed showing off would give me the approval I craved. So I struggled with what it meant that I failed. I didn't budget. I hated the concept. Sometimes I engaged in retail therapy, whether I could or couldn't afford it, and I could never afford it. When I had money, I attempted to out-earn my overspending. I wrote bad checks and played beat the bank. The anxiety of such behavior eventually became too much and I stopped using checks altogether. I remember the first time I saw the inside of a jail cell. My husband and I had moved to a small town and lived on his income. We struggled. It's not hard to imagine. We had one car, used food shelf, and saw our utilities frequently turned off. We were pretty skinny. On the flip side, we both smoked a pack a day. 
In an attempt to purchase food, I'd written a check. I was sure would clear. It didn't. I had spent money at the local grocery store, and we couldn't afford to make the check good. This wasn't the first time this had happened, but it was the first time I was arrested for such a thing. My parents and husband found money immediately to pay the fine, and I was released from jail in a few hours. At that time in my life, I felt trapped in poverty, unsure how to escape into stability. I did work from home, sometimes two or three jobs. While raising our five children, I felt desperate to quit smoking. Nothing ever seemed to stick. Inside, I died a million deaths, more miserable every day than the day before. Can you relate? Do you struggle with finances, addiction, or relationships? Are you looking for solutions? I thought many people did better, better than me. I tried to avoid thinking about it too much. When forced to face my behavior, I used justification, excuses, blame shifting. I yearned to be self-disciplined, a financial success. C.S. Lewis states in Mere Christianity, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. He states further, unless we really try, whatever we say, there will always be at the back of our minds the idea that if we try harder next time, we shall succeed in being completely good. All this trying leads up to the vital moment at which you turn to God and say, you must do this. I can't. Admittedly, I did not correlate my behavior with God at all. I did feel my behavior was painful and undesirable. I was the try harder next time person. Do you find yourself seeking success and trying harder in order to be liked or feel worthwhile? Alarmingly, if I could not manage wages at hundreds of dollars a week or thousands of dollars a month, how was I now going to manage living on just a fraction of that, successfully, with sanity? Most inmates receive only half their paycheck. The rest is taken in enforced savings, fines, fees, and the like. For many, and often me, that meant working for 12 and a half cents per hour full-time and receiving a total two-week paycheck of $3.50 on average. I struggle with what to share here. How do I contrast life outside of prison, the foreign world inside prison, and where I fell in the mix? Some things about prison are shocking to learn, no matter who you are. I'm not trying to suggest these things are good or bad. When I first arrived at prison, I was loaned $15 from the prison whether I needed it or not. This money would be paid back from my first paychecks, which I would not earn until I finished orientation. For some, it could take months and months to repay this money because their monthly pay is so low. I was also loaned a few needed items, such as an alarm clock. We were warned, you must return this after orientation, and the prison strongly recommended we use our money to purchase our own alarm clock and any other items that would set us up for success. This is no small suggestion. The prison runs on a firm schedule, and individual cells have no clock. Failure to stand at your door for count results in discipline. Failure to go to work at the right time results in discipline. Too much discipline escalates to worse discipline. Alarm clocks can become your lifeline.
orientation lasts only two weeks, which is just enough time to order the things you need before what you've been borrowed is taken away. Many inmates do not order their clock. It's hard to imagine future consequences when faced with your immediate suffering. For example, one often arrives to prison from county jail, dirty, hungry, and in pain, without any belongings. Purchases other than an alarm clock seem more important, like shampoo. Inmates are expected to pay for almost everything except their food and shelter. They must do their own laundry, for example, with laundry soap they have bought. All hygiene must be purchased, as well as paper, pencils, envelopes, school supplies, and everything. If an inmate wants to call someone, they have to pay for the phone time, which can be expensive. Where do we shop? Canteen. What is that? Canteen is a retail store currently run by MinCor in Minnesota. MinCor is the state's prison industry program formed by the Department of Corrections. In 2003, MinCor took over and centralized the state's canteen operations which had previously been run autonomously at each facility. Even though prisoner wages are very low, canteen does not have low prices. It also does not have variety. I don't know why, but both things surprised me. Did these people not know where the good prices can be found? Did they not understand supply and demand? No and no. Canteen will be ordered on a Sunday, for example, and the order will not arrive a week later, but two weeks later. Mincor is frequently out of stock, without warning on many items, oh, so many items, and inmates are limited on how much they can order and the amount of property they are allowed to keep in their room. This means scrupulous planning, budgeting, and ordering must be done if one wants to succeed. I was about to experience failure, anger, and so much frustration in my future for years. So much could be said about this. I imagine I will say more in the future. It's an emotional subject. Such potential for personal growth can be found here. I raged when my order was short without warning. I overspent. I went without. Unexpectedly, I ranted about the system. I blamed prison policy. I blamed MinCor for outages, for my inconveniences, discomforts, and hardships. In short, I justified my own behavior, made excuses, and shifted my blame to others. I did order that alarm clock when I was in orientation, but not because I was wise or future forward thinking. My excuses and blame shifting extended to my depression and mental health. I remember once overhearing two women discuss a book by a popular Christian writer. Apparently, the book covered the topic of mental health. As I listened to them, I became angry and outraged. I'd suffered depression for decades. I was desperate for relief. I had not read this book, but it sounded as if the book implied I didn't have a health issue, but a spiritual one. How outrageous, I thought. I was confident of my Christian upbringing, and I was certain that if something was wrong with me, it must not be my fault. What does God have to do with my mind? I was saved, and most important, I had gone to church a lot. I knew lots about God. I refused to even consider it. Apparently, I wasn't the only one who thought this way. Years later, I sat in the clinic waiting room. The room quickly filled up and suddenly discussion was lively. 
it turned into mental health, and this same book was mentioned. As if my depression has anything to do with God, the woman next to me scoffed. How stupid! Now, however, I had a much different opinion. In the intervening years, I'd learned something. My inability to cure myself of something doesn't prove it's not a problem between me and God. In fact, I'd learned proof positive that the only person who can cure me of anything, sin or otherwise, is God. And if, in fact, it is sin, only God can cure it. Jesus said often to people, be healed. When he did, he was not telling them to heal themselves. He was making a declarative statement. He was preparing them for the work he was about to do for them. He is the healer and they will be healed by his power. It is no different with us, with our sin. God says, be perfect, for I am perfect. Be holy, for I am holy. He is not telling us to perfect ourselves. God is declaring and preparing us for the work he's about to do. For us, God is perfect. We will be holy by his power. We can accept it or reject it. For decades, I was outraged and searched for ways to heal myself. Back to November 2011, faced with retail price necessities and low wages, I set my heart on the highest paying jobs and hoped for the best. I wanted to use some of my past coping skills, out earning my overspending. These good jobs were the MinCore industry jobs. Finally, I was rewarded with an assignment and in industry it was. General Assembly, known to us inmates as rubber. I began the week before Thanksgiving. Dear listener, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. God often talks about love in the Bible. When I first began reading it, I wondered, what does it mean? As you can tell, I was a person very interested in doing well, so I wanted to know how to do it right. Was Jesus describing a feeling? What kind? A behavior? What behavior? I was hoping for a dictionary definition. Thankfully, God doesn't disappoint. Do you know that he provided us exactly that in his word? He did. It's in 1 John 3. It says, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. I was surprised to actually discover that love of others is loving God, and loving God is actually obeying God. So it all boils down to keeping his commands. What are God's commands? The Bible calls them His ways. His ways of doing and being right, to be more specific. God has His ways, and His ways are perfect. Now this isn't about rule following. It's about love. Do you love someone? I bet they have likes and dislikes. Maybe some are different from yours. Maybe even at times they are uncomfortable for you. Do you discuss them? Have you adjusted and adapted? I bet so. As you did, 
Did it feel like rule following or love? I bet it feels like love. It's the same in our relationship with God. God says in Proverbs 16, Roll your works upon the Lord, commit and trust them wholly to Him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. C.S. Lewis says again in his book, Mere Christianity, the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. He goes on to say the worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. This same spiritual law works terribly in the opposite direction. The more cruel you are, the more you will hate. The more you hate, the more cruel you will become, and so on in a vicious circle forever. Good and evil both increase in compound interest. That is why the little decision you and I make every day are of such importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. Listener, a thousand people wait on the other side of your act of obedience today. Dear Jesus, I pray for the person listening right now, and I pray for me that you will teach us your ways. We want to commit to you, trust you, obey you. Teach us more about love. Amen. Listener, be encouraged today. Look for more episodes that inspire at hollybot.me. Until next time, remember, your story is never over. God's grace is always waiting to rewrite it. This is From Surviving to Living.